Today I want to spend some time in Acts 9, at the end of Acts 9. So I'm going to have... The, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out and use them, or if you want to use your app, go for it. Uh, it'll also be on the screen. But I want to read from Acts 9, starting in verse 32. And I'm going to read a, a little section, unpack it, and then we'll go through all of it. Acts 9, verse 32 says this. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around and they turned to the Lord. It's a powerful portion, a historical account of the early church. The last two weeks we spent time with Saul, who would become Paul and write the majority of the New Testament to the churches that he had started, and now we find ourselves with Peter. It's important for us to understand that Acts as a whole is meant to tell the story of the whole church, and so it'll bring certain people into focus for a moment and then move to other people, and here we find Peter. And if you're familiar with church or you're unfamiliar, it's helpful for us to understand who Peter is. There's certain biblical characters that each of us maybe resonate with more. I think I resonate with Peter. Specifically, Peter's tendency to talk first and then think after. I probably shouldn't have said that. I have that tendency. Or to step out and risk something and then afterwards going, what did I do? Why did I do that? I've never chopped a guy's ear off. I haven't done that, so I don't relate to Peter in that way. But this is Peter. Peter is is passionate and bold, which also means that there's a shadow side to that. And so he is passionate. And at one point, Jesus actually says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Not what you want to hear from Jesus. A little while later, Peter actually fully denies Jesus three times. Now, it's important that we understand who Peter has been and the reality that even in Acts, we still, still do not see a finished product, according to our view. We still see, at times, Peter making mistakes and not getting it right. Can I just remind you, those are the people that God uses. And so if you're in the room and you are imperfect like me, perfect, God uses people like Peter that are imperfect to do incredible things. It's such an important reminder for me and maybe for you today. God uses all kinds of people, does extraordinary things through deeply ordinary and at times flawed people. This includes this account where we see a miraculous healing. Jesus and his disciples and then the early church often experienced healing miracles. It was a normal part of the early church and and I think increasingly should be more normal to us today. There's a pastor from a church called Garden Church in California that says it like this. He says, the ministry of healing is ordinary and normative and to be expected as as disciples of Jesus here and now, but it doesn't always happen. That in itself is just a helpful Reminder. That's Derek Roundsen, in case you were wondering how to pronounce that last name, because 
The ministry of healing is ordinary and normative and to be expected as disciples of Jesus here and now, but it doesn't always happen. Ordinary, normative, to be expected, but then also sometimes it does not happen. I think that's helpful for us. It's helpful for us to understand this is the paradigm increasingly that we want to walk in. But the the tension of it doesn't always happen, I think, can get some of us. Because we go, okay, if it doesn't always happen, what if it doesn't happen and I'm praying for it and believing for it? And so I think I'll just avoid it completely. I think I'll just, I just won't even step into it at all. For some of us, we've seen it and we've resisted it because we've seen it being phony and fake. It's like we're pushing people over and getting them to do things and, and trying to fake something. And understandably, we go, that's wrong. And it is wrong. But what ends up happening is the pendulum swings so far and we just go, you know what, I won't do this either. It's helpful for us to understand that healing should be a part of what we do if we follow the way of Jesus, but, but resist the urge to treat it like a formula. Like if I can just say all the right things and, and that person does all the right things, then God is, he has to do something. And instead for us to recognize it is an invitation to partner with God in a moment and there are moments that he heals and there are other moments that he doesn't and I don't think it's especially helpful for us to try to blame that when it doesn't happen on someone to go well it must be this it must be that and we end up trying to assume that we understand what God is thinking and doing and I think that always gets us into trouble Instead, the invitation for us is to continue to pray and ask and declare. We see that that we're invited to pray and believe that God is able to heal, specifically using us, imperfect people, followers of Jesus, to bring healing to others. This is what we see Peter doing. Here we have Aeneas, who is paralyzed and bedridden, And not just for like a few moments, a few weeks, eight years. Can you just imagine eight years of someone paralyzed and bedridden in one state? Like you would imagine that Aeneas would feel a real sense of helplessness, hopelessness, resigning himself to the fact that this is just his reality. He's going to be stuck here for his life. And then it says... In verse 34, Luke tells us, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Now, I I want you to notice that, that what Peter doesn't do is sometimes what I do, where I pray long prayers and I, and I kind of apologize for God and I, and I ask and then I kind of backtrack and whatever. He just, he prays and he makes a faith-filled declaration of healing. This is bold. Says to the man who has been confined to his bed for eight years, get up and roll up your sleeping mat. In other words, get up, make your bed. Now, even in this, you just think, this doesn't seem like great table or bedside manners. Like, this guy, Aeneas, has been stuck there. You're not even going to check on him. You're not going to go, hey, man, you doing okay? Do you want to just try? You're like, get up. Clean up. Let's go. It's a really interesting thing that I think does speak to Peter's experiences. 
I think about the fact, the, the depth of faith that Peter had in that moment that he went, I don't need to check. I know he has been healed. I asked for it or I declared it. It happened. Let's go. Moving on. Luke tells us that he was healed instantly. Like, it's an amazing story and a reminder for us that I think challenges us. And then we find Aeneas going from being completely reliant on everyone else, eight years, to now being able to care for himself. This is a miracle, and other people are watching. It says in verse 35, then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to God. They turned to the Lord. It's important for us to know that miracles are always meant to be signs of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. We see the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Miracles are not meant to be an end to themselves. They're meant to point to Jesus and point to his work. Miracles are meant to demonstrate God's power and his work here and now. Now, can you imagine just what this would have been like? Anyone here grow up in a small town? Anyone in a small town? Okay. I grew up in a small town, and when I broke up with my girlfriend, I was working in a convenience store. We broke up. I don't know. Maybe she broke up with me. doesn't matter. <laughs> I was working in a convenience store, and no joke, I had strangers coming in that were like, hey, Tyler, sorry. I was like, who are you? <laughs> you live in a small town. Everyone knows everything, good, bad, otherwise, which is why I moved to Toronto, and I was like, get me out of here. And then I realized no one there cares, and I was like, I think this might be an overcorrection. But if you've lived in a small town, you know everyone talks about everyone. It's like part of the conversation. You go, hey, have you heard of so-and-so? And then you start talking, well, they are married to... If you get in a room with other people that are also from the same small town, it's like you're trying to keep track of who are we even talking about anymore. And they know. So imagine in this small town, something like this happened. Everyone would know. Because everyone knew for eight years who Aeneas was. Everyone knew his condition. Everyone knew what he had been experiencing. And yet, something happens. Like, just imagine if you're there and you know Aeneas has been in his bed for eight years and you're out doing errands, and there he is just walking around like it's normal. You'd be like, you'd be hoping you had someone else to go, am I hallucinating right now? Because this is not what I was expecting to see. And you can imagine what would happen in that. You, you would be hearing stories. Oh, Aeneas was healed by this name, man named Peter who follows the way of Jesus, and there would begin to be this sense of bubbling, is that, is that what I've been looking for my whole life? Is it possible that there is hope in this man named Jesus? It, it would be an impactful thing, and I think reinforces the significant power of stories. Stories for us as a church, they're the scorecard of our success. We use stories to remind us of why we're doing what we're doing. But we live in a culture where stories are the central part of our conversations. And I want to remind those of us that follow the way of Jesus that your story is significant and impactful. 
Some of us don't have stories of, at one point, I was a drug dealer who is no longer a drug dealer because I found Jesus and now my life is different. Some of us do. Other one of us, we look at our life and it seems like maybe my story isn't that exciting. And I want to just remind you, whatever your story is, it is impactful. The problem that we have, I think, as Jesus followers is we tell stories from what happened a long time ago instead of also telling stories of what God's doing right now. And so there's an invitation for us to consider what is the kind of life that I am living and is God at work in my life right now so that I can tell those stories. Now here's why I think stories are integral, especially as we're trying to interact with people that don't believe in the way of Jesus. We live in a culture that is post-truth. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and, and so we can look at that and go, well, How do we navigate that as a Christian? And I think this is actually a beautiful way of subverting that. Because if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, if I tell my story, I'm just telling my truth. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. Like we can actually use this to our benefit. The difference is that our truth is pointing to the truth and his name is Jesus the longing that people have in their hearts that they sometimes can't even make sense of. This is the invitation for us to embrace the kind of life that that actually does what the church did and see stories of God moving and telling stories of that so that people might consider Jesus for themselves. This is a beautiful reminder. Here we have Aeneas who is healed by Peter, and then it says that most of the town came to faith. Unbelievably cool. But then in the next verse, we find it's even more. God's not done. He's not done at work, and he's not done with Peter, and Peter's not done either. In verse 36, it says, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Can we just be honest? Tabitha is more comfortable than Dorcas in 2024. And they kind of like, thanks, Pam. They, they went back and forth even in this. But Tabitha, a.k.a. Dorcas, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. She was spectacular. She, had a, 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 she was known in the community of being someone that cared for others. And about this time, she became ill and she died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with, wid- with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. The story to me is, is one that has so much, much depth to it, but it was reminding me of this one time I officiated a, a wedding, and I was having a conversation with this couple that had previously been around some Catholic churches, found out I was a pastor, and were like, hey, can we talk? Which generally, you're like, here we go. <laughs> like, you don't know where the conversation is going, and so they were like, listen, do you believe this stuff? I was like, yeah. They're like, all of it? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, in the Bible, there's like these miraculous things like the splitting of the Red Sea and all these things in the Old Testament. Do you believe that stuff? 
And I was like, yeah. Yeah, because I believe the center part of my faith, the very hinge point of my faith is the fact that that cross is empty. The grave is empty. That Jesus conquered death. If, if God is so powerful that he can conquer death, do you think he can split some water? Absolutely. And so I'm having this conversation with them where they're going, okay, I don't know what to do with that. But that is the center point of our faith. This is what we believe in. We believe our, our whole faith is built on a, an unbelievable and yet historically true miracle that Jesus rose from the dead. And though I know that, I have to admit to you, I've never prayed for a dead person to come back to life. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where they have an open casket. I don't know if that will continue. I think there's a generational piece to that. But you go to a funeral with an open casket and you're looking at the person and you just recognize they're not there. Like they're physically there, but they're not there anymore. And yet, and maybe it's just me, but I've had moments, maybe I watch too many movies where I'm like, you're early on, you're half expecting the person to go, <gasps> like stare at you and they go, oh no. There's this part of you that is looking at what's happening and your brain is going through things. But I've never thought in that moment, what if I prayed right now and that person came back to life? I mean, Jesus did it. He did it with Lazarus. Peter did it. His disciples brought people back to life. And you go, yeah, why is that? Like, I see stories like this where it happens and yet I wonder, why is it for me that I don't even think? That's not even my first response or thought. Here Peter raises Tabitha or Dorcas from the dead. But it's interesting even when we consider the story because she is surrounded by people and they're all mourning and weeping. And he's like, get out. Get out. And then it says that he knelt down beside the body and prayed. Now, it makes me wonder what he was praying in that moment, whether he was spending time just with God, thanking him for what he was about to do or doing some work with God, but I imagine what I would be doing. This is what I would sound like. Oh, God, please help me. They asked me to come up here. I've never done this. I don't know how this works. What if I screw it up? Like, I would be pleading with God. That's just, I'm just being honest. I don't know that I would in calm, calm, cool, collected go, okay, God, it's time, let's do this. I think I would be wrestling with all sorts of my humanity. And yet, there's this invitation to embrace miracles like this. And I, I think that that I would be wrestling through all sorts of things, and yet I recognize that every single time that I step out in faith as God's inviting me to risk more and, and go where he's asking me to go, that there's continued growth in the midst of my humanity. So I, just, I know how I would respond, but when we look at Peter, we see something completely different. He prays, and then he turns to the body, and he says, get up, Tabitha. And then she opened her eyes. I also love and recognize that obviously with translations there's things, but the open her eyes part has the exclamation and the get up Tabitha is like, get up Tabitha. And then she opened her eyes. 
I, I would switch. I'd be like, get up, Tabitha! Maybe if I'm louder, you'll listen. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and he helped her up. He didn't do that with the other guy. I don't know what that's about. But he grabbed, gave her, she, he gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers and he presented her to them alive. <laughs> he prays and then he says, get up, Tabitha. And she did. And then he called the people back in who had been surrounding her dead body. Now, uh, imagine the excitement in this moment. Like, I would be all the way giddy. All the way giddy. If you were here last week and you saw me in moments with everyone or by myself, I was all the way jacked up. I had a smile until Thursday, and then it continued. Like, imagine in this scenario, what would be your response? You would be in awe and so beyond amazed by what God had done. And yet, I find myself wrestling with, but I, I don't do the thing that Peter did here. I, I've, never, I've never seen someone come back to life. I mean, I, I would be willing to bet that most of us have not gone to a funeral and our first thought is, let's just see. Let's just see. Maybe today's the day. And, and I wonder why that is. Because imagine if that happened. Imagine how you'd respond and the people around you would respond. Uh, even if you're ultimate introvert and like really level, I'm going to be willing to bet if you experience that happening, you wouldn't just go, hmm. Yeah. So what are we doing this afternoon? Are we, uh... no, you'd be like, what? That person was dead, now they're alive? This is unbelievable. This is amazing and incredible. And what you would be doing is exactly what we see the people in that story doing. Running and telling everybody the story. This is why miraculous things are important for us as Jesus followers. It gives us things to point to, to go, look at what God has done. Look what he's done in my life. Look what he's still doing. And it makes sense of what happens next as Luke accounts it that the news spread through the whole town. And understandably, many people believed in the Lord. Like she was dead. Now she's not. And you start again hearing that it was because of this man named Peter praying on behalf of someone named Jesus and you'd be going, how do I give my life to him? If he can raise people from the dead. If he, in fact, rose from the dead, I'll give my life to him. Then it says, and Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. As a result of these two miracles, many people in their midst came to faith. Many people believed in the Lord. Two towns, two miracles. People's lives and eternities changed because Peter did what he saw Jesus do. We use the language of apprenticeship to the way of Jesus. And apprenticeship to the way of Jesus means that we want to be with Jesus. We want to become like Jesus. And we want to do what he did. That, that's a hang-up for a lot of us. Because we're like, I'm cool with being with Jesus. 
And I'm even cool with becoming like Jesus. But there are some things that Jesus did that I'm not sure that I want to do. And it brings up all sorts of things in our minds. Last weekend, so not this weekend, but the previous weekend, we had uh, 30 a few, 30 something of our volunteer team gathered together to create space to be with God to to hear from the Holy Spirit to learn from some people and to create margin and ask for miracles. And we listened to one guy whose name was Jordan Seng and Jordan Seng is a pastor of a church in Hawaii. Lee has had times that she's wondering if that's where God has called us. Before we started Collective, I saw a job opportunity for some church in Hawaii. She's like, yes, yes, God's saying yes. (laughs) Fortunately, God changed her disobedient heart. (laughs) We are here. We are here. We might go to Hawaii at some point, but. But Jordan Sang had this line, and I think it's helpful for us. I think it's helpful for those of us that follow Jesus. He says, faith means trying. Faith is not having every single answer and walking in this place that we go, well, I'm going to whatever. Faith means trying. Having a posture of trying. What are you going to do? I'm going to try. Well, my prayer life isn't very active. I'm going to try. I have people in my life that don't know Jesus. I'm going to try to have this posture of trying. Now, it becomes accessible at the same front. It becomes challenging because we go, I got to try. Because I think for some of us, we bought the lie that church is about just showing up and attending, and that's it. I want to let you know that the way of Jesus, the apprenticeship to the way of Jesus is trying and being the church. Being with Jesus, yes. Becoming like Jesus, yes. And then doing what he did. Going where we have been sent to bring the, the good news of the kingdom of God. Breaking in to our reality right now. Faith means trying. But as soon as we recognize that some of what it means to grow, and I think some of us, we buy into the lie that growth is if I just know more information. And I would suggest that, that growth usually means doing, doing with what we actually already know. We're like, hey, I should love my enemies because I was told I should. And I go, yeah, you should do that. And they're like, no, 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 no. I mean, if we're being honest. Or it's like, forgive people who have wronged us. And you're like, yeah, great idea. I'm not going to do it. But great idea. Yeah, that'd be really good. Give to the poor. And you're like, yeah, people should do that. Just not me. Right? We have all these things where we know things and yet we don't do it. Faith means trying. And faith confronts that living in that trying, it confronts some fear in us because what if I do it and it doesn't work? There's like the pragmatic part. What if I do all the things that I'm supposed to do and it doesn't change my life? What if I risk having a conversation with a coworker who doesn't know Jesus and it goes poorly? But what if it doesn't? See, there's this fear we have of what could possibly go wrong that that shadows over and hides what could happen. We have stories in our team of moments where we've stepped out and God has already been at work in people and suddenly where we thought we were risking something, God was doing something unbelievable. What if that was our posture? And I I do want you to understand the more you try, the more things happen. 
just by nature of averages. And so for us as a church, what does it mean to try? What does it mean to to be the kind of church that actually does what the early church did? Now, I'm not suggesting that we're going to go around to funerals of people we don't know and start bringing people back to life. But can you imagine if someone did? Like, honestly, for all the things in your brain that you're like, I don't know, maybe God's real, maybe he isn't, maybe he can work, maybe. And if you watch someone you knew was dead come back to life, what do you think it would do to your faith? Do you think maybe it would cause you to start trying more? And I think in our life, what does it look like to try and see what God does and then try again? Can you imagine if we saw people healed who had been resigned to their fate like Aeneas for eight years, bedridden and paralyzed? Again, what would that do to our faith? It would cause us to try more. To go, I've seen what God can do. I want to see him do it again. Can you imagine if we, and more specifically you, started trying, trying to do what we see the early church did? Now, can I tell you as a church, and when I say church, I mean the team that makes up the the church, the people that serve and sacrifice, we've been trying. We've been embracing that. We've been spending time with each other and specifically trying, and We've been trying to hear more from God, and we've been trying to see people healed. And last weekend, when we had the Holy Spirit Conference, we had a moment where we were invited by Jordan specifically to try. And as a result of that trying, there were people that stood up and asked for healing, and there were people that were healed, and there were people that weren't healed. And the people that were healed, we celebrated. And the people that weren't healed, we wrapped our arms around them and and reminded them that they are loved. It's important that we, that we share stories when things don't work out well, but on the flip side, it's really important when we share stories of God's healing. So I want to invite Kevin and Britt to come up. Grab a mic, Kevin and Britt, and, and they're, going to, they're going to share their stories of experiencing healing. Kevin, maybe if you go first and then Britt after that, unless you guys already decided. Do you decide an order? Yeah, Kevin. (laughs) So, yeah, that was uh, quite the weekend um, with the Holy Spirit. And when we were asked to stand up, it was like, okay. And being in construction and many things in my life, I'm like, what should I get prayed for? And I'm like, well, I have arthritis in my, my right foot, specifically the, the toe next to the big toe. And it's been there for about four years. I've numbed the pain, just blocked it out, because that's what the doctor told me. That's all I can do with the arthritis. Or I can get shots. And I'm like, no. Um, so um, I had the team around me um, praying for me. And when Jordan talked about praying, he's like, okay, we're going to pray. So they prayed for us, and they said to try it. And if it's not healed, pray again. So when they first prayed for me, I uh, scrunched my toes, and I literally could feel in that toe like mud breaking off a joint, like crumbling away. 
and then the team prayed for me again, the, the three of you, yeah, prayed for me, and the pain went away. And it's still not there. And so I can just praise God through these people healed my toe. So. And so I too was there. Um, and we, again, we were virtually watching it. So it's like, oh, if you need healing, stand up. And I actually came into the conference with a splint on my hand because I've had an issue with my thumb and my wrist. Um, for any of my medical people in here, it's Dequervian's tenosynovitis, um, which I can't spell and I can barely say. Um, but I've had a cortisone injection, um, which helped it for a couple weeks, and then it flared up again. It was really bruised, really swollen. I really can't put any weight on it. I kept referring to it as my dumb hand because I would drop things with it. And um, yeah, so anyways, I was in a splint. They said, stand up um, if you want healing. So I was like, well, I feel like I should probably try this. Um, so I think three... Two, two, three, three people prayed over me, um, and I kept, I had my splint on, and I remember um, my hand felt cold, like, and I'm a warm person, and my hand felt ice cold, and we stopped, and they were like, what do you feel? And I'm like, my hand feels cold, like, I don't know if it was cold to the touch, but it felt ice cold, so we said, okay, try it again, so I took my splint off at that point to try to, like, move it around, and I was like, maybe it feels better, like, still in my head going, like, Nah, it's not better. It, it, no, just try again. So I had my splint off, and the and they were holding it and praying. And then all of a sudden, after I was like, it's like the pain's gone. I can move my thumb. Um, I have an uh, aggressively large water bottle for any of my Stanley girls in here, and that thing's like two pounds. Um, I couldn't lift it with that hand. So my fiance's like, well, test it. Try to lift it, and I can lift it. I have like full flexibility with it, which like I could never do before. So. Yeah, and I had a big bruise here um, that would be there every morning, and I have watched it every morning to see, like, is it going to come back? And it has not, so praise God. I need to add, because remember what I said? Go for it. Um, so I just need to add to this. I don't know what God's doing here, but... I told Pam we we're working on our daughter's house. They're moving back here and we're painting. I'm up and down, painting the trim on the floor, kneeling. And I've, my knees are bad from roofing for 30 years and everything else being stupid. Um, so I said that to my wife, I said, maybe I should have the team pray for my knees instead of my, my toe. Then I said that to Tyler this morning. He's like, well, do you think we're going to leave this room without praying for your knees? And he jokingly said, get on your knees and we'll pray for you. So I did. Jeff said that. Or, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I just know one of you said it. So I'm like, yeah. I went down on my knees. The prayer team prayed over me. And when I stood, first time in a long time, I can hear my knees crunching open. Like things are loosening. Like I can feel a difference in my knees right now. I don't think I can do that dance yet, but I think it's coming. <laughs> I was going to say, you so know. what we're going to see is next week, Kevin's going to be dancing. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we're just, God's on the move. Mm -hmm. I can just praise God for what he's doing here, what he's doing in me. Yeah. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. That's right. Praise God.
just, just so you have context, like we prayed for, we prayed for Kevin's knees two minutes before the service started. Like it, because he shared it, whereas we're about to leave, and they're like, we're not going to just leave and go, yeah, man, hopefully that works out for you. Because for us as a team, we just, we want to try. We want to continue to ask, and we want to, we want to step out and risk it. I, I, I do want to, on a Sunday like this, acknowledge the complexities of a room like this. Because there are some of us that have prayed for healing and not experienced it. There are some of us that are currently praying for something specific and it has not been happening. And it can, it can do all sorts of things in our heart. And I'm not interested in suggesting that, that it's your lack of faith that is the reason for that. And frankly, I'm not particularly interested in trying to guess why it did or did not happen. You know what I think our responsibility is for those of us that follow Jesus is to try. To believe that God is close, that he is healing people, and to pray for you. If you'll let us to ask God to heal you. And as long as we have breath in our lungs at this church, we are going to pray again and again and again and again and again and again and again for every single person that is here. I don't know if you've noticed it, but prayer is a central part of who we are as a church. Every single Sunday, we have the prayer team up here. Every single Sunday, we spend time in prayer. Every single Sunday, we have invitations for people to respond. We are not going to stop trying. And so I do want to create some space for people that, that are asking for God to heal them. Maybe it's something physical, maybe it's something emotional or spiritual or mental, whatever it is. But I do want to specifically, I want to share something that I think has been, has been helpful for me. There's a song that is called Hope on the Horizon. And in a moment, I want to just read some of the, read some of the lyrics because it, it has connected deeply with me. But in a few moments, I want us to create some space for people that want to experience healing. And we want to pray for those people. And maybe in the room, because you hear stories or you're listening and you're going, maybe you find yourself feeling hopeful and expectant. Like maybe God couldn't do it today. Maybe this can happen. Or maybe you feel the fear rising and the disappointment. Maybe it's something else. Can I just express to you, if that's you, if you feel like, I don't know, I've tried this, I've done this, and I feel like I'm just going to be disappointed again, every single moment that you continue to step in, I want you to know we are proud of you. Every single moment that you risk it, Every single moment that you try, we are proud of you. Not for the outcome, but because it's a step of faith and I recognize how courageous it is. For those of us with unanswered prayers and stuff that we struggle with, it is so hard to again bring it out and lay it before God and go, God, I'm coming with all that I have and it's not much. Hope on the horizon says this, when your heart is ready to break and you've got empty hands and worn out faith, when it feels like prayers have gone to waste and the promise seems so far away, 
And then we have an invitation. Lift up your eyes. There's hope on the horizon. Oh, look to Christ. His kingdom is arriving. We don't want to treat the fact that some of us are coming with worn out faith, with empty hands as something that is, that is insignificant. It is, it is courageous when we have what little we have and we bring it before God. For us, this is why we want to continue to try, where we want to step in and we want to encourage every single one of you that will respond or knows they need to respond, that are willing to take a step. We want to encourage you and, and point out the tremendous courage it takes. We want to pray for you. We want to cover you. We want to demonstrate that you are loved and stand in the gap for you because here's the reality. Whether you experience profound, miraculous healing in full or in part or maybe not yet or we don't know, we want you to know that you have a church family that loves you, representing a God that is crazy for you. And then even in moments where you're not sure how to reconcile what you've experienced and what you read to be true, that he continues to draw you closer and whisper, my son, my daughter, I love you. And so we want to create some space to actually pray today for people. So I want to invite you to stand up for a moment. It'll be longer than a moment. And I want to invite the, the worship team to come up and whether you play the song or play in behind, however you feel led. There's a passage in Matthew 10, 7 to 8 where Jesus is commissioning his disciples and, and it's what we want to do today. He says in Matthew 10, verse 7, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Maybe there's some people in this room that need to come to this place of surrender for the first time in a long time. To lay down all the past and surrender yet again to Jesus and what he wants to do this morning. The worship team is going to play and the prayer team and some of our team is going to come up to the front. And I want you to know there is an open invitation to come up to the front and we want to pray for you. Before we do, I want to pray over us. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for the miracles that we get to celebrate as a team and we ask for more of them. A reminder of your power through imperfect people. God, for those of us that follow you, help us to live a life of risk and trying. Ushering in your kingdom, doing what we can to bring healing and restoration. God, help us to be willing to step into moments that require risk where you are glorified, not us. God, my friends in the room, some of which that they know they need to come up, would you give them courage to do it? And even right now, for the people in the room that have prayed for other people before and wonder, can God do it? God, would you just whisper to them again that you are able, that you are here, that you are working, 
God, I ask that you would build your church and bring healing this morning for physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. God, have your way.